It's the 19th of April in the year of our salvation, 2007. It's also the second anniversary of the election of Pope Benedict XVI as Bishop of Rome, our Pope, the Vicar of Christ, the successor of Peter, the servant of the servants of God. And you're back with Father Z for another podcast. Today we're proud to have as our guest Pope Leo the Great, who died in 461. We'll hear some of his sermon number 63, which was preached many, many centuries ago. We're also going to hear some of the wonderful sounds of that day two years ago when our Holy Father was elected Pope, and I'll also talk about where I was and what I was doing, but we'll listen to uh, the announcement and the Holy Father giving the Urbi at Orbi benediction, and we'll also hear his first words as Pope. Here we go. was Pope from 440 to 461, and this period of the 5th century was a time of terrible uh, upheaval and tension, because the old Roman Empire was breaking down, and there were migrating peoples coming, and the Vandals and the Goths, and there were the Franks and Burgundians, and in the clash of these peoples all moving against each other, there were great tensions. And so the the new peoples began to adopt old Roman ways, but they also brought their own ways with them, and that created great tension both in economic spheres and in civic spheres, in religion and in uh, in the military. And out of this turmoil rises this one figure, this very important person of Leo the Great, he was the one man in in the West, really, who was able to hold everything together while everyone else was weakening. From that, that vantage point of Rome, he was able to maintain contact with the whole world, and so he became uh, a, a courageous leader and was very helpful in maintaining unity, both in the civil sphere, but also, and most especially, as the shepherd of Christ's flock. As a matter of fact, John the Twenty-Third would call Leo the Great the doctor of unity because of what he did to hold the church together in so many different ways. But he was also the point of view of unity for civic things, too. For example, when Attila the Hun was going to invade Italy, there was really no one who... Who could, who could find any way to, to stop him. And so Leo went by himself up north to meet with Attila, and we don't know what he told them, but, but he convinced Attila not to invade Italy. That's how important uh, Leo the Great was. 
even just for the, the, the defense of society, but he also defended the unity of the church, and he did so in different ways. Well, first of all, uh, he was able to exercise discipline. You see, Leo had a great uh, understanding of how uh, the popes, uh, the bishops of Rome, were the successors of Peter, and that they exercised primacy among all the bishops. And so this man of, of great uh, mental clarity and and uh, eloquence was also courageous enough to exercise discipline among the other bishops. He would counsel them and strengthen them uh, concerning uh, faith and in different practices. And uh, when people would rebel, he would you know he wouldn't stand for that. He'd help bring them back and show you know it's amazing that people who have great talents. If they don't have the courage to use them, well, they might as well not have them at all. But here's a man who had great talents and the courage to use them. But he also weighed in on theological grounds to help create unity, because in those days there were terrible, uh, there was terrible fuzziness about the what we know now as dogmas about the person of Christ and who he is as both God and man. And uh, part of the fuzziness came from a problem of using uh, terminology. The terminology of philosophical words being used, there were ordinary meanings that these words had, of course, but then there were the philosophical, technical meanings that these same words had. And people were kind of vacillating between these words, and they didn't know how to talk to each other uh, about Christ and about his natures. And so Leo helped to clarify words like nature and person and essence so that they could have greater clarity of doctrine. And Leo was also very important in uh, the restoration of many things. Uh, first of all, because Italy had been sacked many times, barbarians had invaded and things, it was because social services had broke down, many buildings were out of repair. So Leo set out in a project of restoration of the ancient basilicas. You might remember that as the archdeacon for Pope Sixtus before him, he had been very important in building, for example, part of Santa Maria Maggiore, and the beautiful mosaics that are in that were, were designed really and, and built by the archdeacon Leo before he became Pope. So he was a brick-and-mortar guy, too. And he also was involved in the liturgy. Many of the prayers and the prefaces that we find in a collection called, which we call the Leonine Sacramentary, uh, sometimes it's called really the Veronese Sacramentary now, but the Leonine Sacramentary shows the influence of Leo the Great, uh, showed the influence of his thought and his style of language and the allusions that he makes to the problems that they were dealing with at the time. And so Leo the Great is still speaking to us in many of the prayers that we have in Holy Mass today, at least in the Latin form. Perhaps when the new translation comes out, we'll hear Leo speaking a little bit more clearly because, uh, frankly, the ISIL translation doesn't you know, really tell us anything, does it? In any event... Leo died in, in 461, and he was uh, buried here uh, in Rome at St. Peter's Basilica. And when they built the new basilica, they moved his tomb to a very splendid place toward the back, and on the left side is a magnificent chapel. And both the eastern and the western churches keep his feast day. Now, it shows you how important he was even for 
the East. And because of Leo's brilliance and his uh, his great zeal in defending the doctors of the uh, the doctrines of the church, uh, he has been praised by popes all through the centuries. Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, Papa Lambertini in seventeen fifty four, when he named Pope uh, Leo the Great a doctor of the church, he said this. It was due to his excelling virtue, his teaching, and his most vigilant zeal as shepherd of his people that he won from our forefathers the title Great. In expounding the deeper mysteries of our faith and vindicating it against the errors that assail it, in imparting disciplinary rules and moral precepts, the excellence of his teaching is so radiant with the majestic richness of priestly eloquence and has so won the admiration of the world and the enthusiasm alike of councils, fathers, and writers of the church that the fame and reputation of this wisest of popes can hardly be rivaled by any other of the church's holy doctors. Let's hear some Leo the Great. Let's hear part of his sermon number 63, which he preached on the 19th of March in 452. It was Wednesday of Holy Week. He was talking about the Lord's Passion. And as usual, when talking about the Passion, Leo cites the prologue of the Gospel of John, and then he explains how the events of the Passion were foreshadowed in the past, and those things were recounted in Scripture, and then how Christ fulfills them in himself. And then he stresses the unity in the divinity, uh, unity of divinity and humanity in Christ, and he shows how uh, Christ is an example for our own suffering, and how then Peter then is given the task by Christ to feed his sheep so that Christ's ministry can continue today. Here's Leo the Great. dubium dilectissimi naturam humanam in tantam connectionem a filio dei esse susceptam ut non solum in illo homine qui est primogenitus totius creature seretiam in omnibus sancti suis unus idemque sit Christus et sicuta membris caput ita a capite membra dividi non possint Quam visenim non justius vite sit, sed eterne, ut sit Deus omnia in omnibus. My dear brethren, there is no doubt that the Son of God took our human nature into so close a union with himself that one and the same Christ is present, not only in the firstborn of all creation, but in all his saints as well. The head cannot be separated from the members, nor the members from the head. 
not in this life, it is true, but only in eternity will God be all in all. Yet even now he dwells, whole and undivided, in his temple, the church. Such was his promise to us when he said, See, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so all that the Son of God did and taught for the world's reconciliation is not for us simply a matter of past history. Here and now we experience his power at work among us. Born of a virgin mother by the action of the Holy Spirit, Christ keeps his church spotless and makes her fruitful by the inspiration of the same Spirit. In baptismal regeneration, she brings forth children for God beyond all numbering. These are the sons of whom it is written, They are born not of blood, nor of the desire of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Christ, Abraham's posterity is blessed, because in him the whole world receives the adoption of sons, and in him the patriarch becomes the father of all nations through the birth, not from human stock, but by faith, of the descendants that were promised to him. From every nation on earth, without exception, Christ forms a single flock of those he has sanctified, daily fulfilling the promise he once made, I have other sheep, not of this fold, whom it is also ordained that I shall lead, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Although it was primarily to Peter that he said, Feed my sheep, yet the one Lord guides all the pastors in the discharge of their office and leads to rich and fertile pastures all those who come to the rock. There is no counting the sheep who are nourished with this abundant love, and who are prepared to lay down their lives for the sake of the Good Shepherd who died for them. But it is not only the martyrs who share in his passion by their glorious courage. The same is true by faith of all who are reborn through baptism. That is why we are to celebrate the Lord's Paschal Sacrifice with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The leaven of our former malice is thrown out, and a new creature is filled and inebriated with the Lord himself. For the effect of our sharing in the body and blood of Christ is to change us into what we receive. As we have died with him, and have been buried and raised to life with him, so we bear him within us, both in body and in spirit, in everything we do. veritatis legitime celebratur, dum fermento veteris malitiae abjecto, nova creatura de ipso domino inebriatur et pacitur. Non eni maliud agit participatio corporis et sanguinis Christi, quam ut in id consumimus transeamus, et in quo comortui et consepulti et con resuscitati sumus, ipsum per omnia et spiritu et carne gestemus.
That was a selection from Leo the Great, sermon number 63, which he preached on Wednesday of Holy Week in 452. And I love toward the end there this wonderful image of the food which changes us into what we receive. You see, when we eat normal food, we change it into who we are. We make it into our body and our blood and our bone. But the food which is the Eucharist is the only food which changes us into what it is. Remember that in other times, Leo the Great will preach about how God became the Son of Man so that we could become the sons of God. And this is done by this adoption of sons, which he, which Leo cites in the selection that we heard. I also love how he describes uh, how we, through baptism, participate in, even in the, the pas- in the passion, even though we aren't martyrs. The martyrs did so by their glorious courage, but we do the same by baptism. And so each one of us, to a certain extent, lives the glorious life of, of martyrdom, even in this world. And it's true, isn't it, that we all have to die to ourselves, you know, in a certain way. The physical threat, physical threats are one thing, but think of all the terrible spiritual threats and difficulties and attacks that, as Christians, we endure every day in today's society. So this useful, this is a very useful reading from the Sermon by Leo the Great. Cari fratelli e sorelle, dopo il grande Papa Giovanni Paolo II, i signori cardinali hanno eletto me un semplice umile lavoratore nella vigna del Signore. Mi consola il fatto che il Signore sa lavorare e agire anche con strumenti insufficienti e soprattutto mi affido alle vostre preghiere. Nella gioia del Signore risorto, fiduciosi del suo aiuto permanente, andiamo avanti. Il Signore ci aiuterà e Maria, sua Santissima Madre, sta alla nostra parte. Grazie. Dear brothers and sisters, After the great Pope John Paul II, the Cardinals have elected me a simple, humble worker in the Lord's vineyard. I am comforted by the fact that the Lord knows how to work and act even with insufficient instruments. And above all, I entrust myself to your prayers. With the joy of the risen Lord and confidence in His constant help, we will go forward. The Lord will help us and Mary, his most holy mother, will be alongside us. Today is the 19th of April. It's the second anniversary of Pope Benedict XVI's election 
to the Sea of Peter. And those were very exciting days. They had been very exhausting after all of the events of the of the uh, death and the funeral of John Paul II, and then the preparations leading up to the council. And in those days, I was uh, a consultant with Fox News, and um, we were uh, on television a lot, and our hours were kind of difficult. And uh, when the conclave began, we sort of figured that there were going to be different times of the day when we were more than likely going to see uh, smoke coming up from the little a chimney that stuck up out of the Sistine Chapel, and there were constantly uh, cameras focused on that chimney to watch it you know, live all the time, sometimes in little boxes on the TV, just in case something was going to happen. And, well, that day... Uh, we hadn't had any smoke at the kind of t- at the times we had predicted, and so I was. Uh, at, since it was in the afternoon, it was getting it was really past the time that we figured that the popes had uh, that the uh, cardinals had had uh, had one of their voting sessions. I was getting ready to go home because I was really tired, and we figured that there was really nothing going to happen. And uh, there was another priest around who would be available just in case something happened. So I was going to go get some sleep. And uh, so I went back up, however, to the camera position in order to pick up some stuff that I had left up there. And uh, uh, Chris Wallace of Fox News and Greg Burke, uh, the Rome correspondent for Fox News, were still up there. But the priest was nowhere to be found. So just at that moment when I was chatting with uh, one of the cameramen there, I happened to look down at the monitor that was always going, and it had a close-up of the, the chimney. And as I was looking at it, I saw just, I just thought I saw something. And then I thought, uh, a moment later, I thought I saw a little tendril of smoke. It was very, very slight. And so I said aloud uh, to someone, smoke, fumo. And, but no one paid any attention at all. And so I was a little bit more sure now, and I said, Smoke! Smoke! Fumo! Fumo! And we all looked at the monitors, and sure, here, sure enough, here it came. But uh, New York, uh, the people in New York had heard me over the, the, the one of the earpieces. <clears throat> and so we, um, we were able to get on, on camera with this probably a little faster than the other networks. And so we all scrambled to get into our chairs and, and get the earpieces in. I wasn't even supposed to go be there. I was supposed to go home. So it was very providential in a sense that I was there. And then we watched this whole thing unfold, and it was it was so exciting to watch. And uh, when the, the cardinal protodeacon came out onto the balcony and he began to make the famous announcement... I, I can't even I can't even tell you how exciting it was. I know that there uh, you were probably all watching this too. Maybe some of you saw it, but we heard the ancient phrase in Latin. Let's hear. Let's listen to that. And I've cut out some of the pauses so to make it make it sound a little bit better. Annuncio vobis gaudium magnum. Abemus papam. Eminentissimum ag reverendissimum dominum, dominum Josephum, ante Romane Ecclesiae Cardinalem Ratzinger.
qui sibi nomen imposuit benedicti decimi sexti. That was the famous announcement of Benedict the Sixteenth, and I tell you, when they got to the point where the cardinal said "Yosifum," I practically tore Greg Burke's arm off because I knew exactly that it had to be Joseph Ratzinger and not some other Joseph. It was so exciting. We should all pray for our Holy Father. He has a very difficult uh, mandate on his shoulders. And he's not a young man, but he's a wonderful pope, and he's going to uh, make a, a great splash in history, I think. So let us support him with our prayers and uh, also offer prayers of gratitude to God for our church, which has uh, this wonderful this wonderful uh, Petrine ministry, which makes us so uh, secure that what we hear from Holy Church is true, and how when there are times of crisis or difficulty, we do have uh, that, that figure of unity who, uh, who is the rock upon whom Christ himself uh, founded his church. God bless you. This is a podcast from Father Z. I'll, I hope you come back to see the blog, though, WDTPRS.com. That's Whiskey, Delta, Tango, Papa, Romeo, Sierra.com. I look forward to seeing you there. You can also come and pre-order the Holy Father's book. There's a link there on the blog. God bless you. Bye-bye. Sancti Apostoli Petrus et Paulus, ich vorum potestat et autoritate confidimus, ipsi intercedant pro nobis ad Dominum. Precibus et meritis, Beate Maria Semper Virginis, Beate Michaelis Arcangeli, Beate Ioannis Baptiste, et Sanctorum Apostolorum Petri et Pauli, et Omnium Sanctorum, Miseriatur Vestri Omnipotens Deus, et Umisis Peccat Omnibus Peccatis Vestris, Perducat Vos Jesus Christus, ad vitam eternam. Indulcentiam Absolutionem, et remissionem omnium peccatorum vestorum, spatium vere fructuose penitentiae, corsem penitens, et emendationem vitae, gratiam et consolationem sancti spiritus, et finalem perseverantiam in bonis operibus, tribu ad vobis, Omnipotens et misericors Dominus. Amen. Et benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendat super vos et maneat semper.